Welcome back to the Windy City Podcast. I'm your host, Carter, and today we'll be seeing how well my March Madness bracket held up. If you've been following March Madness, then you know that this year's has been an absolute insanity. The most unpredictable things have happened, and as you can imagine, my bracket is paying the price. Returning to go over the results is my good friend, Will Miller. Welcome back, Will. Thank you for having me. So, going into the South, our pick for Alabama was right. I mean, now this one, I suppose just go over what's wrong, because what's right is kind of expected to a degree. Mm-hmm. So, how did you feel? Um, did you get this one wrong as well for the Maryland and West Virginia? Uh, I believe so. I think I had West Virginia as well. And then going to Creighton and NC State. I'm surprised Creighton made it as far as they did. Mm. So, even if I had them winning this, they weren't going to win against Baylor. And Princeton was very interesting. Yeah, but yeah, I had I didn't think they would make such a power move in this tournament because I had Baylor winning this one down here, and then Missouri versus Utah State. I could have not been more wrong. My hate for Missouri overflowed. So as you can see, just looking at my bracket, there's a lot of red. I got I'd say the majority of my first round picks right, and the second round is rare. I really started to wet in the bed a good bit. I think the only pick that I made for just guys winning is UConn. So I think every UConn's like the only technically good pick I have that has lasted multiple rounds and has made it to where we are now, which is the final four. So going back up to the top, I'm just going to cover up like what I thought was a big upset. And the first one is... Texas A&M and Penn State. I feel like... Did you watch that game personally? Uh, I was able to watch a little bit of it. I'm surprised Texas A&M got beat that bad. I am as well. I think that heading in, I think they were a smart pick. A team that had really performed well in conference play. Mm -hmm. uh, As opposed to Penn State, who had kind of an up and down Big Ten season. But... yeah. I think that in March, sometimes whoever, whatever team has the best player wins. And yeah. I think Penn State just had the best player. That's totally fair, and I agree with you on that. We're going to keep looking in the first round for the big upsets that I have. Illinois to Arkansas wasn't really an upset. I won Illinois to win, but I knew we wouldn't because we're trash. So another one of the big upsets that I'm seeing was Purdue at the first seed versus I've never even heard of this school in my life. Go over here. So Purdue lost to the 16th seed. And I mean just wow like I mean what are you, what are your thoughts about this? I mean obviously it's a huge upset. It's only the second time in NCAA history that a 16 is beat a 1. This one is arguably even more impressive because FDU had to play in the first four as opposed to UMBC a couple years ago and they were already in the field. But, I mean, anytime a 16 beats a 1, it's a huge upset. I think some people were high on Purdue. I wasn't personally. I had seen them struggle through Big Ten play, especially towards the end. Uh, 
I had them losing in the next round to actually the Memphis Tigers. So I kind of thought they were vulnerable. I didn't think uh, that they were this vulnerable. But I think really that confidence from FDU beat them. There was a video going out um, after they won their first four game of their coach talking about how they think they can beat Purdue and that they have a chance. And so I think that confidence helped them out a lot in this game. Yeah, I feel like when you're playing in a tournament this big of a scale, you might not feel on as early, but confidence is definitely something you need to have regardless. I think you have to throw away the seeding and just say, go out there and just beat the team. You're slated to play and don't worry about what C, what numbers next to the their name. So the next upset I want to cover, or not so much upset, but what was kind of, I guess, shocking to me was that I can see like visually right now was Duke versus Tennessee. I mean, I know you're a big Duke guy, so I'm not going to ask you how you feel, but I'm going to ask you for your thoughts on this. Thoughts on the game? Um, when it come when coming in, I thought that because Tennessee didn't have their starting point guard, I thought Duke would be able to capitalize on that. But I think a lot of people underestimated how good Tennessee was on uh, defense. They have been all season, despite not having um, uh, Zakai Ziegler, I believe his name is. Uh, and they really showed that they held Duke to a season low, I believe, at 52 points. Um, and I think one big thing that kind of hurt the Blue Devils is a couple minutes before Mark Mitchell, who had started mostly every game and had kind of been really rock solid from the season, uh, was ruled out with an injury. So not having him, and he may not have been the, uh, a big-time offensive player for them. He really was a guy who would take the challenge of kind of guarding either the best or the second-best player on Tennessee. So I think not having him made a little bit of a difference. Uh, but either way, I mean, that was a brutal win for Tennessee. They had to gut that one out. Um, and I think also another thing was just Rick Barnes coaching in March. He doesn't have the best track record when it comes to the NCAA tournament. I think that also led people to being a little skeptical. But I think the pressure or the not a lot of pressure of kind of being a low seed, not being, you know, a top-two seed, uh, yeah, I think that benefited them more than anything. I totally agree with you on that. The next game that I actually have a little bit more knowledge on that I'm going to talk about, I'm breaking it down by division right now, is Kansas State and Michigan State. So while Kansas does happen to be the third seed, I did not expect this man right here to do what he has done so far, like this whole tournament. It's just been really impressive from him. Got a box score real quick. He is. I mean, he's just played. He had an NCAA record 19 assists this game. I mean, that's incredible. That's. I mean, that's absolutely insane. We're gonna. So even though Michigan was a seventh seed, I still didn't see them losing to this team because I feel like Michigan's always one of those good teams to rely on. And also, I learned out the hard way not to doubt Kansas State. Because they are a really good basketball team. Yeah, I think if people kind of forgot. I think I've said that a lot this podcast, but I think it's true. Like this is a team that was consistently maybe a top three team in the Big Twelve with wins over Kansas. Um, a team that played in what I thought was the best league in college basketball this season, and with two great players in uh, Keontae Johnson or Marquise Noel. I think people slept on them a little bit. This is an incredible run. I mean, he has a 
the NCAA record for assists in the games now with 19. And for him to do it in front of his home crowd in New York City, I think that was pretty uh, special. Yeah, and especially just given how coming out of high school he wasn't even that big of a player or not. He wasn't really well-known at all. And then he just shows up out of nowhere and just carries his team when they need him. I think that's absolutely incredible. That's why March Madness is the best. That You have these amazing stories of these nobodies making a name for themselves in the uh, sports' biggest stage. Another big upset we have in the East, I think it's worth mentioning only because I was watching it, was FAU over Tennessee. Now, I happened to be in Florida when this game was being played. So just watching like everybody go nuts when FAU won was like really cool to see. And like where I was at, FAU is one of the rival schools of the school I'm going to. But it was a matter of just having a Florida team within the same conference making it that far. So I just kind of like switched support. I did not see this at all coming. I was a thousand percent on the, oh, Tennessee's going to absolutely mop the floor of them. But I was, I was so wrong. Yeah. They're a good basketball team. I think they got a little bit of a, a bad beat at the end of the Memphis game. Uh, they tried yeah. to dunk when they were up big with like no time left. They kind of get a little heat for that. Um, but sometimes playing the villain can benefit teams. Um, I don't know if they bought into it. Uh, I know their coach had some words for Tennessee before the game, uh, talking about how they studied rugby film to get ready for Tennessee. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, I think that they've put themselves in the map and that you know, they're in the Final Four now with they're two games away from potentially winning a national championship. So quite the story for the Owls. I agree with you on that. Now, I'm trying to remember what game I was watching, and we're gonna go we're gonna kinda hop around here, we're gonna go down here from the east and the west up to the north and the south. And I can't remember. I think it might have been if my memory serves me well. It might have been Miami and Texas, or it might have been that FAU-Tennessee game. But in the uh, second half, about halfway through, it, it literally looked like a football game. Like, they were just... Every other play was a foul or a flop or some aggressive form of physical contact. And nobody scored for, like, five minutes because they were just hammering each other the whole time. I mean, that was, that was very wild to watch. Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. Um, we'll go look at the West individually now. And a game I think we should cover is Arkansas beating Kansas. Kansas was my pick to win it all. And as you can imagine, I was pretty hurt when I saw that my first pick went down in the second round. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Um, coming into the tournament... I thought that Kansas would be vulnerable. Uh, I don't know if that was kind of the consensus, but at least that's what I thought. I did not think they would lose in the first weekend. Uh, I thought they would at least be able to make it to the Sweet 16. But Arkansas was a top 10 team for the first month of the season. Arguably one of the most talented teams in the tournament when it comes to a um, draft prospect. Uh, they got Nick Smith, Anthony Black. I mean, they really have talent. They're loaded. I also think uh, Kansas not having their Hall of Fame head coach, Bill Self, made a little bit of a difference. I think that, especially in March, when you kind of get to later rounds, when it's really good team versus really good team, I think a coach can make a difference. 
and not having him for this game, I think, really hurt their chances, and ultimately, you know, they lost. Yeah, I just... This is, like, one of the reasons why I like March Madness, because it was it came down to, like, one-point game. Like, in the first ha- half right here, like, it's shown, you know, up by eight, sometimes in, like, college and, like, low, like, high school games... Being up by 8 or 10 normally signifies that team's going to win. But the absolute tear they went on, on this run, with the 9-point advantage to come back and win by 1 point, I thought was really insane. I mean, yeah, like, if you want to talk about crazy comebacks, Miami had one against Texas in the uh, lead 8. I think they were down 8 with, or uh, double digits, maybe 10 minutes to go. And Isaiah Wong, ACC Player of the Year, just willed them back. So this is really a tournament where you no lead is safe until the buzzer sounds. I mean, we can go back even seven years ago when Texas A&M played uh, Northern Illinois, or Northern Iowa, excuse me, and they had a double-digit lead with a minute left, and Texas A&M came back and won it in overtime. So this is really a tournament where you have to play your best basketball for 40 minutes or you could suffer the consequences and end up going home. Yeah, and what, another thing I feel like that we often underestimate when we can like try to compare this to like pro sports and whatnot is that for most of these guys that you see playing in these clutch minutes, it, it could very well be like their last basketball they ever play in a uniform or definitely at, the, at least the college level, the last time ever doing it. I think people understand the urgency they have to win. So when these comebacks happen, yes, they are surprising, but the motivation behind them can't even be questioned. I mean, yeah, no one wants to end their their last game of their career on a loss. I mean, but sadly for 67 of these teams, I mean, that's what happens. Only one team is going to get that fairy tale, you know, farewell for those seniors. But I think that's a great point that just that urgency that all these players play with, I think is something that makes this sport, makes this postseason different than anything else. Yes, I definitely agree with you because for pro athletes, yes, it does suck for them to lose in the late round and they don't want to lose, but they have the luxury, or most of them have the luxury of coming back next season. And some of these guys don't get the comeback or they enter a transfer portal and don't get picked up on a team or just any of these other issues. Maybe their team doesn't even make it that far. That's really what it boils down to, in my mind, at least. So while we're looking for upsets on the West, I'm just going to flat out apologize for this one. I I feel incredibly stupid for picking GCU to win against Gonzaga. I completely forgot how good of a team Gonzaga was. And... Yeah, I just feel like I messed up on this one. My gut told me to pick the upset on this, and I was—I could have not been more wrong. As you can see, it's by 12 points here. I mean, yeah, Gonzaga's are a really good team. They were ranked number one in offensive efficiency for the past month and a half, if you look at some data sites. So really a strong team heading in. Uh, they definitely had some bumps along the road, of course, that UCLA game, uh, the Sweet 16 game, was an absolute classic. I feel, I think that Gonzaga and UCLA 
should play every year. Uh, the last three times I've met, they've all been great endings. Um, but I think that they're a team that that can sometimes be overlooked because they play in a small conference. And sometimes I feel like that comes back to bite them. Yeah. Where you go two and a half months without really playing any super great competition. I mean, no disrespect to the uh, West Coast Conference. I mean, as you see right up there, St. Mary's, a five seed in their conference. Um, but you're not playing teams like UCLA or UConn. Yeah. I mean, like UConn was playing teams like Xavier, Providence, um, Marquette, all these teams on a daily or a weekly basis. So I think that kind of prepares those teams a little bit better for March. But I think Gonzaga had a solid run, and I don't know if this is it. They don't have the best recruiting class heading in next season. They have that guy, uh, Dusty Stromer, I believe his last name is. He played on Jared McCain's AAU team, um, a shooter, a four-star. But they don't really have that premier player. They don't have that Chet Holmgren-type player that's coming yeah. in to their program. And then obviously the big question mark is, well, Drew Timmy. He could come back to school, but at the same time, he's been there a lot. He's done a lot. And the only thing he really hasn't been able to do is win a national championship. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not he decides to come back. So, But I think they'd really need to attack the portal if Mark Few wants to continue yeah. this dynasty that they've had. And while we're on the train, we're going to cover UConn's path real quick. They beat Iona. I saw that coming. I didn't pick the right uh, team to play against them, but I had them winning. And then I had them playing Kansas and losing to Kansas. That was wrong, completely. I mean, I mean, just looking at these games, they've kind of been on like a tear. Like the first round, eighty-seven to sixty-three. They won this next game by fifteen. They win the next one by twenty-three. And then what I don't think anyone really saw coming was them absolutely blowing Gonzaga out of the water. Like, when, in the first, like you can see right here, it starts out, you know, they're up by seven points. But even just watching the game in the first, I don't know, like six, eight minutes, that was mainly just a defensive just show. Like, they were throwing up shots, missing, missing, missing. Good defense, good defense, good defense. Maybe get some points in transition. But I didn't expect them to come out the second half and outscore Gonzaga by 21 points. I mean, just watching them just absolutely pour it on, and it it never stopped. That just blew my mind that they've made it this far to the Elite Eight, and a team is getting washed like this in the Elite Eight. I think that's absolutely crazy. A team's getting beat by 28 this far, and then... Yeah, I mean, if you look at kind of all of the Elite Eight games that we had, as far as I, I'm thinking back on it, I mean, really all of them were great aside from this one, and I think this one had the potential to probably be the best one. Uh, but UConn's been on a tear. They, statistically looking at specifically kind of metrics, offensive defense efficiency, they were never kind of where their seed lies. They had a pretty rough stretch kind of at the turn of the new year. Um, I think they went like maybe 2-7, and 2-8 and eight in their conference play. So they really kind of hit a rut, but this is a team that had wins over against Alabama that plays in a great conference of the Big East. 
and that I think maybe had a little bit of chip on their shoulders. I think that they said yeah. to themselves that, hey, we've beaten some of these really good teams this season. Why are we a four seed? Why are we having to go all the way out west to play these regional games? Um, so I think that kind of added fuel to the fire. But, I mean, they're in the Final Four, and they probably have the best shot of winning, uh, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but I think that this was an insane result. I did not expect Gonzaga to get beat the way that they got beat. I thought they would yeah. lose. I had it in my bracket. I had uh, UConn beating Gonzaga. I had this exact matchup. But I did not expect it to be this. I expected it to definitely be yeah. a little bit more of a ball game. Yeah. And I totally agree with you on that. And then we're going to bounce around to this elite game, elite eight game. FAU beating KSU, like I said, the environment. I was also in Florida for this game. And the environment was crazy. But one thing that I saw was just the mutual respect for Marquise Noel. Everyone acknowledged that this guy was very good. And they were very. everyone watching was worried when he got the ball. But they're still going to go for the Florida team. I did not see this game ending the way it did. I did not see them winning. I thought Kansas State was going to win this. And now I don't even know who I expect to make it out of the Final Four just based on how much this team has shooken up the tournament. Yeah. Uh, what After things kind of settled down and we got to the Sweet 16, kind of looking at who was left in the East, I thought Kansas State was going to uh, walk away with it, that they would kind of be the dominant team and kind of like UConn in the West, kind of go on this dominant two-game stretch of beaten teams. Close one against MSU. They lose this one. The big thing that I remember about this game is they they didn't get a shot at the end. I mean, they have like 10 seconds left, Yeah. no timeouts, but they weren't able to get a shot off. In my opinion, even if it's a bad look, you got to throw something up in the basket. Either yeah. hope you get fouled, hope something crazy happens, but they just, nothing worked for them. They didn't get a single shot off, and that's what I think... Um, kind of maybe stings the most is the fact yeah. that it was you a close game. You couldn't go out game. swinging. You went out like that. You exactly. It's like I don't know how to say it in baseball terms, but I'll try. It's like it's a three-two full count, bases loaded. You're down by a couple of runs. You hit a grand slam. You're gonna win, and it's right in the middle. And instead of swinging and trying for it, you just let it go right in, and it's a strike. You don't even swing. And that's what it kind yeah. of felt like for Kansas State. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I feel like, back to the urgency thing, like, why not get a shot up? Like, Gonzaga, early in the tournament, had a crazy shot. And it was just like, the, a, it was like a, a why not, what do I have to lose from shooting this type of shot? Mm-hmm. It was just a simple play, kind of just dribbling it right up the court and then just pitching it back to the guy, kind of faking a, a dribble handoff. And yeah. it, it worked. I mean, it worked then. It was the same play that Villanova ran in the 2016 title game. It's a play that works. I think, you know, you can't run something. Like, how do you not run something similar to that? Yeah. And at least try. Now we're going to go back up to the south again. And we're just going to start looking for not so much major upsets. It's upsets in general. We already talked about Creighton and Baylor. But I want to talk about how unexpected this matchup was for Princeton and Creighton. I don't think anybody saw these teams getting to the Elite Eight. 
And like I said, I, I like watching big men go at it. But I really like Ryan Kalkbrenner's game when he wants to, you know, play angry. And I know he's had some trouble this tournament, as in his consistency that he's picked up on. I believe uh, he got fouled or he missed a layup or something. And he, I think he, like, punched the court or something. And his coach mm-hmm. pulled him to the side and talked to him about it. And then he fixed his attitude and went out there and just dominated. But, yeah, yeah this is cool. – um. Unexpected by me. Yeah. Um, I thought Creighton was good enough to make the Sweet 16. I was not expecting Princeton to uh, make it as far as I did. And they were actually, you know, playing them pretty tough in the first half. It was back and forth like crazy, both teams hitting big shots. And then Creighton kind of really pulled away in the second half. Uh, but I think that there's not really a whole lot to say about this game. I think that Creighton... At the end of the day, it's kind of like a boxing match. Yeah. Like, both teams early on were able to throw trade punches. I just think Creighton was able to take more hits and deliver more than uh, Princeton Tigers, and I think that's ultimately why they came out on top. Yeah, and I feel like when you have this seven-foot cheat code at a college level, I think it really does make a difference. And even if they're not feeding him the ball, he still draws a lot of attention. And even when they, you know, they go for a pick and roll, you can't slack off because we saw what happened. He get this third up and he just dunks it because he's seven feet tall. So I think that's something you can't really afford to do. So even if they don't feed him the ball, it's a challenge for teams smaller because who is going to stop him if he's if he's feeling himself? Mm-hmm. The next game that I wanted to cover was San Diego and Alabama. Now, I also watched this one in person, and what I remember most was how the game kind of died out. Now, original, when it got down to the last maybe minute, two minutes, it was very, very, very close, I think within a two-point game. And I kept, <laughs> I kept telling my uncle, Alabama's going to come back, watch, watch, watch. And that kept creeping up, getting closer and closer and closer. And what it boiled down to was Alabama made a bad pass. And I think San Diego is one of those teams, if I remember right, that has very active hands. They had nine steals this game. They thrive on defense. Block shots and getting steals, that's kind of how they do it, yeah. So just that in general, they threw a bad pass. You know, The Aztecs got it. And then they just kept sending them to the free throw line because they couldn't. I believe, I can't remember if it was this game or another game, they had a guy trapped all the way by the inbound, and he split right through the middle and was able to get through. I mean, that just can't happen when you're pressing. But I feel like this game was really impressive for San Diego because it's not very often a one seed loses. And I say that even though there's no one team, one seeds left. But Alabama is one of those teams that you don't just walk in and make their game like a living hell for them. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I had Alabama winning this game. I had them beating San Diego State. But upon kind of thinking about it afterwards, I remember I think I actually came on this podcast and kind of delivered my point and originally why I thought San Diego State was going to be Charleston. 
And that's yeah. because they hold teams to a low three-point shooting percentage. They're arguably the best defensive team in the country. And Charleston's a team that thrives and is a live um, live and die by the three-point team. Alabama's very similar to that. They want to shoot three-pointers. Um, they don't believe in mid-range jump shots. They yeah. want to either attack the basket or pull up from three. So I think that played in the San Diego State's hands a little bit. But also, um, Brandon Miller, if we want to talk about kind of guys in March helping out their cases when it comes to the NBA draft, I don't think he necessarily hurt his case. I still think he'll go in the top three. But from drafts that I was looking at and from people I was listening to kind of talk about it, there was present, uh, people were thinking that maybe he could go ahead of Scoot Henderson if he kind yeah. of played himself in a position by having a good, good tournament, and he just did not. Um, yeah, not a great tournament, especially from a guy who kind of had the opportunity to kind of solidify himself as a top two pick. He'll still go. He'll still go top three. He'll still go to, you know, um, a bad team, but and be able to get paid a lot of money. Um, but just kind of a not great performance by him. Like this is a tournament where freshmen and these kind of Top, top draft, top, uh, top again, draft okay. prospects. Okay. Uh. Okay. So this is like a tournament where these top draft prospects kind of make a name for themselves. Like Zion did it. Uh, John Morant did it. Um, these countless players kind of take this opportunity to be like, hey, I'm here. I'm going to make a name for myself. And he just wasn't able to do it. Yeah, and even said... I mean, this game, he went 3 for 19 on his field goals and 1 for 10 for 3. That's not good. And you also mentioned that this team likes to shoot threes. And as we saw, they went 3 for 27, which is absolutely terrible. And you, you can't do that. And as is San Diego, they went 6 for 17. So I feel like you were right about them holding teams to a low three-point standard. I think that's very important when you play a team that thrives off shooting threes. Especially since, you know, Miller had the green light to shoot all the threes that he wanted. But even just looking, there's a lot of guys who put up a donut for three. Oh, for three, one for ten might as well be nothing in a game like this. Zero, this guy didn't even shoot the ball, but, you know, most college centers don't shoot. Oh, for five, one for three, one for five, oh, for one. That's just, that's just a terrible night as a team. The next game that I want to cover, even though it's not really an upset, I still want to talk about it just because it was, it was I thought, one of the better games in this tournament was Creighton versus San Diego. Like, this was an all-out just fist fight, I feel like. Really close game. It came down to the wire. Uh, they had originally, like, the time it ran out, it was like, oh, San Diego State won it, but then they had to go review something. So they kind of all stood around for a few minutes, and they're like, okay, now you guys can celebrate, um, which I think is pretty funny. But a really good game. Once again, San Diego State proving their value on defense, holding a super good offensive team in Creighton to just 56 points. Um, but this was a really good game. A little bit of controversy at the end with the foul call on Ryan Nemhard. Yeah. Uh, from what I saw, 
I thought it was a foul. I think that if you have a kind of that forearm on the uh, kind of pushing into the shooter, it's a foul. Especially, I think you it kind of threw off his shot. Like the way he landed, kind of yeah. didn't look like the way you would typically land after a jump shot. Kind of be able to be in control of kind of land on two feet. It kind of looked like he was stumbling a little bit. That also could be he just kind of sold it. Um, but I don't have any problem with that foul call. I think that the way the game was going, it was tough. Guys were playing extremely physical. Um, but at the end of the day, I think as an official, you have to make the right call. And I think yeah. he did. You know, Heart goes out to all the Creighton fans, but um, it was a really well-deserving win for the Aztecs. So you speaking about foul calls. I believe there was one game. I don't remember when. But there was a very, very blatant over-the-back call where a guy was boxing at the defender. The defender jumps over him. and the, Or not defender. The guy going for the rebound fell on top of the guy that was boxing him out legally, and they called a foul on the guy boxing out. I disagree with that one entirely. I don't remember I think where I know it's from. I just know it costed them the game. Yeah, I believe that was a Texas-Miami game. And I remember watching that, and kind of the way I looked at it was... Because the guy who was rebounding the ball, the Miami player, I forget his last name. It's something started with an O. Because he was airborne, one, the guy was boxing. You see the demonstration with my hands. Because he yeah. was airborne and the guy started boxing out while he was airborne, I think that's where they call the foul call. Because it's a little dangerous as well. Because the guy's airborne, you're pushing into him, and that's how, you know, you could get seriously hurt that way, you know, by landing the wrong way. I think if the guy had stayed on his feet, had then started to get boxed out and then tried to jump, then it would have been over the back. But I think because he was already airborne, I think that's where you kind of get into the fact that it was a foul in Texas. Yeah. But it could really go either way. I did want Miami to win this game, so I was kind of a fan of that foul call, I won't lie. Yeah. Um, but this really was a great game uh, to watch. Probably maybe my favorite game of the tournament that I've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, the only reason why I disagree with that call was because I did that to multiple people in this season, and they called me for it every time, rather than jumping over someone's back. So I was like, well, they get away with it. Why can't I? But this was a really good game. I'm going to kind of be scatterbrained for a second and go back to this Creighton game because I had a couple things to say. One thing that's always confused me throughout this tournament was Kalkbrenner's rebounding. You're seven feet tall, and... And I might negate my argument here in a second with what I'm about to say, too. But getting six rebounds, I think, is unacceptable, given the fact you played 40 minutes. Now, I understand that when you're the tallest guy out there, it brings a lot of attention. Because while I'm not I'm not the best like basketball player, I was out there to rebound and whatnot. So having me out there drew one or two guys on me because I would weasel past them sometimes to get an offensive rebound. Or if they didn't box me out, I could push him around a little bit. So I can see the issue with him only having six rebounds because he draws so much attention to boxing him out so they don't get any second-chance points. But I still think six is a little low, especially in terms of just getting defensive rebounds too. Yeah, like only three uh, defensive rebounds. It's kind of tough. Overall, it doesn't look like Creighton did a tremendous job on the boards. Although, to be said, they did out-rebound San Diego State. Uh, 
But I think that just speaks to San Diego State's physicality, kind of. Yeah. I mean, if you look at them play, like, they are just, they look like 40-year-olds. Like, I think that the average age of the team has to be in the 30s. Like, you can't tell me otherwise. Yeah. Like, they just are physically dominant, and I think that's kind of what happened against Creighton. Yeah. So now we're going to be scatterbrained again. And, well, I feel like we to talk about this. Um, yeah, Miami and Texas was a good game. We're going to go be scatterbrained once more again. And we're going to go back down. Actually, no, we're going to talk about we're gonna since we messed up so bad on our normal bracket, I think we can try and get this right maybe. Who do you have so when it comes down to San Diego and FAU, I really don't know who's gonna win that game because I think it can go either way. But do you have a definitive answer in your mind of who you think's gonna win? I think San Diego State. I just don't think FAU has played a team like San Diego State's defense. They got a small taste of it against Tennessee, kind of another team that was that's very good on defense, and they won by seven. I'm not sure if they'll be able to squeak another one out, but, I mean, I had them losing in the first round, and they've been proving me wrong since the tournament started. So they very well could win this game, but I think if I had to put money on it, I would bet on the Aztecs. And then for this next game, I have UConn beating Miami just because UConn is an absolute force to be reckoned with. And you, like I said, we've seen the teams they've beat. You know, they. I think Gonzaga would beat Miami. So if they got absolutely pummeled by UConn, I think Miami stands no chance. And I think, yes, they've played some decent teams, but I don't think they've played anything like the likes of UConn where they have a seven-footer or a very tall, I don't know if he's seven-footer or not, but he has a guy start. So I think one of the big issues is that they don't... So they start like one of the six nine, six ten guys. And then you have to fight with him for a little bit. And after that, they put in this guy Donovan Klingon in. And if he is very good. I've always... I've liked Donovan Klingon since high school. Which is only a year ago. But still, I feel like... The fact that you have to guard a very physically strong center, and and just when you think it's over, they sub in Klingon, it just makes it even worse for smaller teams. And I really don't think Miami's going to have an answer to him. So I, I definitely have UConn blowing Miami out of the water. Yeah, it'll definitely be a challenge to see how long they can keep Amira on the floor. Has a foul trouble against Texas, because Miami does play a lot of guards. Um, Isaiah Wong the Miller guy, um, they're kind of a smaller team, kind of, they fit a little bit more of what the modern NBA is today, kind of more uh, yeah. spacing, kind of clearing everybody out, so they do a lot of that, but I really like Miami, Jim Laranega is one of my favorite coaches, um, I don't know why, he just kind of looks like a sad little grandpa, and I feel bad for him sometimes, <laughs> um, but you would never guess that he's the coach this for is a, Miami. Not you in a would, thousand years you expect that, that guy's a Southern Florida. He's some retired poker player who's living in Vegas, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But this is probably, when it comes to the two Final Four games, this is definitely going to be the better one. Um, it's going to go to the wire. I want Miami to win, but I don't think they will. I think UConn's just the better team. 
this is yeah. probably uh, they're like their runaway favorites at this point. So I'll pick the Huskies to win. Yeah, I have the Huskies winning at all at this point. And this matchup is seventy six twenty three split or twenty four ish. I might as well say seventy seven twenty three split. And I want to see what people are thinking about this FAU game. Ooh, it's the close one of the closer ones. Most people have SDSU pulling away like we do, mm-hmm. but I see it either way. I think if either team wins, like this isn't. Like, oh, I'm so mad both these teams have made it so far. No, these guys have grinded to get to this point. And they've defied a lot of odds and challenges they've had their way to get here. So I think whoever wins this is very deserving. But I just feel sorry for that. They're going to have to play UConn for the national championship. Mm -hmm. I feel like UConn is definitely good enough to beat most teams in that same position as San Diego and FAU, where you've played against all these tough teams but you still haven't gotten the taste of what UConn is like. Mm-hmm. They're a different type of like offensive unit. Like they really like when they're hitting shots. There's no team in the country that can guard them. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, it's UConn's championship at this point. Um, I wouldn't say it's 100 percent guaranteed. We still have to play the. We still have to play the games, and obviously, anything can happen. Like a 16 beat a one this year. A 15 made it this yeah. week 16. All these crazy things happen, so you never know. But I think it will probably be UConn cutting down the nets on Monday night. I totally agree with you. Thank you very much for joining me today, Will. I'm very interested to see how this college basketball pans out. And... I'm definitely going to be a little bored when we have to go back to just NBA just because I feel like the college playoffs are so much more exciting than NBA regular season. And I feel like even for some bits of the playoffs, I definitely think college basketball is still more exciting than that. My shirt will say otherwise, though. But, yeah, thank you for joining me today, Will. No problem. Thank you for having me. And to wrap this up, this is the Winning City Podcast, and I'm your host, Carter. Peace.